Hey, good morning. Uh, thanks. My name's Chris, for those of us who haven't met, and I'm a pastor at the church. If you ever have questions about our church, um, good to see you. This is hard because you get up and you see people then. As soon as you turn around, you see people you haven't seen for a while. So great to have everybody here today. Um, I'm off my game, but that's all right. I don't have a game, I guess. Um, here's, here's why I'm, I'm excited today. I'm excited. If I'm, if I'm at a loss for words, let me blame it on this. Um, I'm excited because I believe we have a special message that, that God wants to say to you today. Um, you are going to be blessed when Raimundo shares. He's going to share his story of growing up in Juarez and, and the events that led him here. And then we get a chance to gather around some teenagers, and we're going to pray for them as they confirm their faith. So can I have an excuse then to, to be stumbling over some words? All right. Well, um, here's, here's, when I say that I believe God had a special message for us today, let me tell you what I mean by that. Um, I think that you could open up the Bible and just let it fall open and close your eyes and point to a page, and you're going to come up with something that, uh, that, is, that, that has a good takeaway. But then there's those Sundays where, as I'm preparing, I feel like there's a specific thing that, that God wants to say, and I think that's the case today. I say that because we had, um, I had two different directions that I thought this message was going to go, this on a special confirmation Sunday, a special message. I had two directions I thought it was going to go, and then on Monday, I started to feel like I was hearing this phrase, not ashamed, not ashamed, not ashamed, which was not one of the directions I was planning to go. And that night, uh, Monday night, when I went home after hearing this, not ashamed, not ashamed, and I opened up my Bible before bed as I'm trying to discipline myself to do, um, guess what passage I opened to that day? I opened to Mark chapter, it comes in, actually, it's in a couple different spots, but I I opened up to Mark chapter 8, verse 38. If you have your Bibles, let's open up here um, to it. And I also want to say, too, if you don't have a Bible home, we'd love to send you home with one free today. Um, or at any of your visits, if you don't have a Bible, we keep a stack of them right back in, in the back there. You don't have to tell us. You don't have to sign anything. We would love for you to, to take one. Well, here's, here's the passage after hearing, not ashamed, not ashamed, not ashamed. Um, the passage that, was, that I was planning to read that night, it says this. If anyone is, say it with me, ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory and with the holy angels. I thought, you know, I should probably speak on this verse. Right? And, and here's what's interesting. As, as, um, as I started reflecting on that verse, there's certainly a straightforward um, context here, or there's a straightforward understanding of this passage. I mean, this passage, if you just look at it right as it says on a straightforward reading, there seems to be something here about courageous confession. Something about courageous confession. According to Jesus, one of the marks of his disciples is a willingness to boldly align ourselves with Jesus and his words. There's the straightforward, easy-to-understand application. And that's an important teaching. But I didn't sense that that was the, the teaching. I thought God had something even more specific than that for us today. And the teaching that I believe God wants us to focus on, um, really, you, you need to understand this truth first. And inside your notes, there should be a red slip of paper like this. If you could take this out, I'd encourage you to write this down because this will help frame where we're going here today. Most of the Bible's readings have several layers of richness and nuance. That's certainly the case with this passage. Most of the Bible's teachings have several layers of richness and nuance. There's usually a straightforward, easy-to-apply understanding, and then there's oftentimes these layers of richness and depth, and that is definitely the case with Mark 8, 38. In fact, as I was reading the surrounding context, because I started in 
Mark 8, verse 1, worked my way to 38. As I began to read through there, you had to see this context. I had some things pop out at me that didn't, haven't popped out before. One of the layers of what Jesus is teaching in Mark 8, 38 is brought to light by what Jesus says in Mark 8, 33. Before we get to that one, let's back up even further. You with me so far? Okay, thank you. Thanks for nodding, even if you're not. It's going to make sense. Trust me, it's going to make sense. All right, we're to back up even further. The verse I read was Mark 8, 38. Let's go all the way back to Mark 6. And let me give you just some highlights from Mark 6, Mark 7, working our way towards Mark 8. In, in these passages that lead up to the one I just read, there, there is account after account after account, and it's presented as if it really happened. It's presented that way, account after account of account, of Jesus doing astonishing things, absolutely astonishing things. We have Jesus feeding 5,000 people, with just five, actually more than 5,000 people, with just five loaves and two fish. We have Jesus walking on water. We have Jesus healing the sick. We have Jesus denouncing empty and hypocritical religion. We have Jesus casting out a demon. We have Jesus healing a man who was deaf. We have Jesus feeding about 4,000 people with just seven loaves of bread. And we have Jesus healing a blind man. Well, there was a disciple of Jesus who witnessed all these things, and his name was Peter. And what's interesting is many scholars would say that it is Peter who influenced the writings of Mark. In fact, many people would say that the writings of Mark, the book we've been looking at, that that book is the result of, of Peter's teachings and Peter unpacking all these things that happened. So Peter, unlike Mark, Mark hadn't witnessed all these things. Peter witnessed all these things. So Peter witnesses all these astonishing things that Jesus does. Keep that in mind because then Peter, as he sees these things, he becomes convinced, convinced that Jesus is the real deal. Convinced of it. And that's where we'll pick up now. Let's begin, go back to our text, Mark chapter 8, but we're going to start at verse 27. And it says this, Jesus and his disciples, after all these astonishing things, Jesus and his disciples went on to villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, one of the prophets. Jesus asked this. He says, what about you? Who do you say I am? Well, Peter was one to speak his mind <laughs> as well as do what Peter would do. And he says, you're the Messiah. I got this one. You are the Messiah. And then it says, this is interesting, Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Now, on the basis of all that Peter had heard, all that Peter had seen, all these astonishing things, Peter was able to declare with boldness Jesus, I believe you are God's chosen one. And when Peter makes that bold, unashamed declaration, Jesus says something surprising. He says, don't tell anybody. It doesn't seem to contradict what we're about to read earlier. Hey, don't tell anybody. Well, I believe there's a reason why this unfolds this way. If this is truly the teaching of, of Peter, I believe there's a reason why why Peter included that detail, and I encourage you to write this down. I think Peter learned an important lesson that day. We're going to see. He learned the hard way. But Peter learned an important lesson that day, and here it is. A razor's edge sometimes separates confidence and pride. A razor's edge sometimes separates confidence and pride. This is part of that more specific teaching that I think we're supposed to hear today. I'll say it one more time. A razor's edge sometimes separates confidence and pride. If this account that we just read is based on Peter's recollection of that day, Peter is exhibiting great humility here. 
Great humility. As he says this, and, and why do I say great humility? I say great humility because there's another person that told this account and recorded it. His name is Matthew. And Matthew, when he recorded the same account, Matthew added something that was very affirming of Peter. That when, 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 when Peter says, hey, you're the Messiah, you're the Christ, Jesus, in Matthew's account, says, Peter, that was revealed to you by God. You got that from God. Peter chose to leave that part out. Peter's showing some restraint here. He's showing some, some humility here. And why? I think it comes down to that. That Peter learned a lesson that day, and you're going to see it. He learned a lesson that day that a razor's edge sometimes separates confidence and pride. And I think he intentionally wanted us to, 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 to learn that lesson from his mistake. All right, I'm saying all these claims. Let's read on. And this mistake is going to come out here right now. Mark chapter 8, verse 31. We're just continuing to read. Jesus, as soon as, as, as Peter makes this bold prediction, this bold, uh, this bold statement, this bold uh, profession of faith, Jesus then began to teach the disciples that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law and that he must be killed. And after three days, rise again. Jesus spoke plainly about this. And then Peter took him aside and began to what? Say it aloud. He began to rebuke Jesus. Fresh off the attaboy from Jesus, Peter now feels the need to edit what Jesus said. Because in Peter's mind, what Jesus said couldn't have been what Jesus meant. So Peter, now I'm elaborating here. This isn't in the Bible, but I'm elaborating. Peter puts an understanding arm around Jesus. He pulls Jesus aside so as not to embarrass Jesus in front of the others and says something like this. Hey, hey what's this about suffering and dying, Jesus? You're the Messiah. Need I remind you, Jesus, that God has chosen you to usher in God's kingdom and restore righteousness. Now, how that's, how's that supposed to happen with you getting all dead and everything? So let's try that again, Jesus. So then does Jesus at this point pull Peter aside and say, you know, Peter, that was kind of inappropriate. Let's have a little conversation here. Uh -huh. Let's look what happens next. He, he turns to his disciples. He turns to his disciples. He looks at his disciples and, and publicly he rebukes Peter. He says, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And this whole exchange is coming before the one we started with. Okay, All this is coming before. The not ashamed stuff. You talk about turning on a dime. One minute, Peter is getting insights. Listen to this. One minute, Peter is getting insights from God himself. And the next minute, where are, where are thoughts coming from? They're coming from the pit. It is possible for us to one minute hear from God, another minute hear something that sounds like God that isn't God. And for us to be equally bold, because it's bold to rebuke Jesus, to be equally bold in both those situations. Jesus invokes the name in this situation, Satan, which can translate adversary. Peter is saying things that are adversarial to the plans and purposes of God. Which, by the way, what a brilliant strategy on the behalf of the adversary. What better way to undermine God's plans and God's purposes than to get God's people to do it for you? To say things boldly on your behalf that you never said. Or to twist or distort things. 
You know, if your mind's been drifting a little bit, come back, because this is a teaching we need. This is a teaching we need. This is not just for the confirmants here in a couple minutes. This is for us. There is a constant temptation to profess a faith in the God that we expect instead of humbly proclaiming truth that comes from the God who is. And because I didn't hear an amen on that, I'm going to say it again. (laughs) There is a constant temptation to profess a faith in the God we expect instead of humbly proclaiming truth that comes from the God who is. Amen. There is. There is. And we're all tempted to do that. The more I've been trying to follow God, the more I'm starting to realize God says what he says. And he does what he does. And as much as sometimes I feel like I need to take a passage and really soften it for people, there's sometimes it can't be softened. It's important to add context, absolutely, but sometimes we're not so much adding context as we're changing things. Or we're projecting a lot of ourselves into a situation. When the word became flesh and dwelt among us, he said all kinds of hard and divisive things and confusing things. Things about family that are hard and divisive and confusing. Things about faith, things about money, things about sexuality. He said all kinds of hard and confusing things. And there's a temptation And often the temptation comes from us who are familiar with his teachings. There's a temptation to forget our place. To forget our place. And sometimes we paint things black and white when Jesus left them gray. Sometimes we paint things gray when Jesus left them black and white. Sometimes we stand in judgment when Jesus extended grace. And then sometimes we extend grace when Jesus made his judgment clear. Sometimes we dismiss hard teachings as hyperbole. Sometimes we place legalistic burdens on ourselves or others that were never meant to be carried. Oh, frequently, we cast stones that we have no business throwing. And other times, we don't speak up when something needs to be said. And we have this example that we've just been looking at here in the scriptures. We have this example of Peter trying to edit Jesus remarks. And we see Jesus' reaction. He said, get behind me. He said, get behind me. Now, that would have cut Peter to the core. And one of the reasons I believe that would have cut Peter to the core is it had a specific first century context, what he said there. Peter had violated a very important protocol here. Peter professed to be a disciple of Jesus. Peter said, I am a disciple. I am a follower of Jesus. What is the proper place of the disciple? It is behind the master, not in front of the master, not running interference for the master. The proper place of a disciple is behind the master. If you get nothing else from anything I say, I know you're going to get something out of what Raimundo says, but if you get nothing else what I say, please get this. This is a deeper teaching for us today. Disciples follow behind their master. I'll say it again. No amen necessary, but appreciated. Disciples follow behind their master. I mean, I, we need that reminder, don't we? We need that reminder. All of us do. Because we all tend to either fall out of line with the master. He's going this way. Oh, 
going that way. Or we step ahead of him sometimes to soften what he says or to edit his remarks. It is so easy to edit or editorialize the things that Jesus said that fit our personal or cultural paradigms. It is so easy to add to or take away from the example that Jesus set and the things that Jesus taught. If you're setting out to be a disciple of Jesus, let's remind ourselves. Let's not put ourselves ahead of him. Let's not revise what he says, and let's be exceedingly careful when we qualify what he did. And I say that today knowing full well it's Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost Sunday. It's a day when Christians commemorate the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, the spirit of wisdom. And the Bible instructs us, it says, wisdom begins with an awe of God. Wisdom begins with a reverence for God. Wisdom begins with a full submission to God. Not the God we want or expect, but the God who is. Which then brings us to where we started. Let's continue back to our text. This will bring us all the way up to verse 38. And hopefully now, with that context, this will even be richer. So after saying all these things that we just looked at, Jesus calls the crowd to him. Along with his disciples, he said, Hey, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Powerful words. And we've commented before the power of that symbol of the cross. The cross was a symbol of Rome's power. The cross was the ultimate example of what Rome could force a person to do. The might of Rome was such, lock this in, that they could force a person to carry the object of their torture to the site of their death. That's what the cross represented, the might of Rome. And beyond physical torture, the cross was also a place of utmost shame. You were stripped, you were humiliated, you were hung in a public place. The cross was so horrific that people who were nailed to crosses were considered forsaken by God. Forsaken by God. That's how horrific it was. Prior to Jesus, nobody chose the cross. Did you hear that? Prior to Jesus, nobody chose the cross. And so Peter's perspective makes sense. For Peter to be confused, for Peter to even say, whoa, whoa, let's qualify that. You don't really mean the cross cross, right? For Peter to, to, to not be able to fully get this, it makes sense. It fit the secular thinking of the day. The secular thinking was only a fool would choose the way of the cross. It also fit the religious thinking of the day. Because in a religious person's mind, only the forsaken would find themselves on a cross. I need this reminder. I need the reminder that he needed. And I hope God's speaking to you as well. Let's not be ashamed of the cross. Let's not be ashamed of it. The cross that Jesus carried and the crosses that we're asked to bear. You know, what do I mean by that? Well, there's the, there's the obvious layer. The obvious layer of, you know, there's people who are being persecuted for their belief in Christ. Their, their, their cross is a physical one. You will go to jail. 
you will die if you profess this. But to a much lesser extent, I mean, many of us, we feel the weight of a cross from time to time too, don't we? In contrast to our world. There are biblical teachings and mandates. They seem old-fashioned and possibly even oppressive. Teachings like this, that our stuff isn't our stuff. That ultimately we're stewards and we're to trust God with all of it. You know, for young people, the cross, we're, we're told to honor our parents, respect those in authority. That's not what the world's teaching you. We're told to avoid sexual immorality. In fact, we're told there shouldn't even be a hint, not even a hint of it among us. We're told to love the haters. We're told to pray for those who persecute us. We're told to serve in the same radical, sacrificial, shocking way that Jesus served us. And we're told to proclaim the good news of the kingdom, to tell people to repent because the kingdom of heaven is near. You know, taking up these crosses, sometimes it can feel foolish. And there's a little bit of shame, you know. But when the world shoots you that condescending glance, let's remember the words our master taught us, blessed are you. Blessed are you when people mock you, when people persecute you, and they lie about you, and they say all kinds of hurtful things because of your faith. Remember, says Jesus, these are the words of Jesus. They said the same things about me and the prophets that went before me. You're in good company. You're in good company. Now, this gets really tricky because Jesus teaches us not to be ashamed. <laughs> and I started thinking, well, what's the opposite of not ashamed? Well, it's pride. It's boasting. And isn't that exactly what got Peter into trouble? Here, listen to this. If your pride, if your pride is in your own knowledge, if your pride is in your own education, if your pride, and I'm talking to religious people right now, if your pride is in your knowledge, your education, your experience, your understanding, or even your success, then yeah, that is trouble. That is trouble. It was trouble for Peter. If you're going to have boldness and confidence, here's where the Bible says to put it. It all keeps coming back to the cross. Here's a person who was a contemporary of Peter. His name was Paul. And if anyone, if anyone had a reason to boast in his religious cred, it was, it was Paul. I mean, Paul got visions that were amazingly specific. Paul was mentored by great thinkers. Paul was the most zealous God follower the world had ever seen. God performed miracles through Paul. God chose Paul to write most of the New Testament. So there's his stuff that he could boast in. Here's what he says, I boast in. Far be it from me to boast except in what? The cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says this in another one of his letters. When I came to you, I didn't come with lofty speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And would you read this last one with me? For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. His only, his only boast was the cross. The cross, which was philosophical foolishness to secular thinkers and a theological stumbling block to religious 
And that's just the cross that Jesus picked up. That's not even counting the cross that Paul was asked to pick up. Paul, think about this. When Paul touched people, they were healed. And yet when Paul said, God, would you remove this thorn from me? And we don't know exactly what that thorn was. Would you remove this from me? God said, my grace is sufficient for you. Paul, he planted these amazing communities, communities the world had never seen the way these people treated each other and loved each other. And yet Paul was often rejected and lonely and isolated. You know, and, and there were some who apparently in that day, they made a good living by watering down their preaching. They made good money on that. Sometimes when Paul would tell people what God told him to say, they threw rocks at him, tried to kill him. But through it all, Paul wasn't ashamed. He wasn't ashamed of the gospel. How could he be? This was something he just couldn't deny. He had met this resurrected Christ. The spirit of this Christ dwelled in him. And there was this good news that he had come to understand. The good news that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever would believe in that would not perish but have everlasting life. Paul had come to a place where he realized that any God who would go to the cross for us, I can trust him. And if he asked me to pick up a cross, oh, I can do that with his help. You know, that's biblical faith. That's the faith we confirm. Placing our full trust in the one who carried his cross and believing that he knows what he's doing when he asks us to follow his example. Well, before I step down and ask Raimundo and Tim to step up, I'd like you to write down one more thing. Let me just touch on this briefly. Faith that is commended by God involves embracing his cross and taking up our own. Let me say that one more time. Faith that is commended by God involves embracing his cross and taking up our own. And for us, this is one of the reasons why when we have people come forward and they profess a faith, this is one of the reasons we don't put all our, what I'm going to call, put all our eggs in the catechization basket. I don't think that you, you can get someone to stand up here and recite a creed. And I'm a big believer in creeds. You can get people to, to come up and recite doctrine, and I'm a big believer in sound doctrine. But I also know that the Bible says knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. And it is so much more important to me that if someone's going to profess their faith, they profess a humble faith. A humble faith that declares this. That I believe there's one God, and he's the creator of all. I believe that each and every one of us, as unpopular as this idea is, I believe we've somehow sinned against him. And the wages of our sin, it is death. It is eternal separation from his presence. I believe because of his great love for us, God made a way for us to be reconciled to himself. And Jesus was that way. And he's the truth. And he's the life. And I believe that all who believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that our response is to pick up our cross and follow him. And this is what I believe. Well, I'm not ashamed of that gospel. And after Raimundo shared, I shall, if we can have Raimundo come on up, and Tim, um, after they shared, I mean, I just, I was a mess uh, right afterwards. And because we get a chance here to see the power of God. 
at work. We get to see what happens when people pick up a cross and then when someone responds out of that. So I'm, I'm thrilled. Um, now, for those of you who haven't met Ramundo before, you're going to hear his story, but I just want to say what a great example you are, once again, I'll say it to these people too, what a great example you are of courageous confession. Because here's a guy who three and a half years ago knew, knew he didn't know any English, and here he is now getting up here in front of all you and sharing his story. I've been going to Mexico 25 years. I couldn't, three, I couldn't put together three sentences, you know, and here he's going to share his faith. So lots of encouraging looks, lots of encouraging attentive behavior. All right, we're good. In fact, maybe even do a little of that as we welcome up the window. All right, go get them. It's a great day. I'm excited for, for you to hear yeah. part of this story. Um, if you weren't here last week, uh, Jill shared and lends itself perfectly, transitions itself perfectly to hear what Raimundo has to share today. Um, Jill talked about how God desires to use our life markers as part of his story, build his kingdom, make his name better known. It was two months ago or so, Emily and I, my wife, were sitting down, and what he's going to share today, we didn't even know all the pieces of it until two months ago. We knew some big picture stuff, but Rai shared some of the smaller details of his story. And I remember Emma and I saying, God wants to use that in powerful ways. That's, that's his desire. And here we are two months later. Here we are. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I think if, if you're like me, I think a lot of people, when they um, know of people from different cultures, backgrounds, they grew up in a different country, uh, they assume life must be so different than your own life because you grew up somewhere different. But, Ra, you actually explained that your life, your childhood was very normal. And so what do you, what do you mean by normal? Explain that to us. Uh, I, was, I was born in El Paso, but after that, my family and I moved to Juarez, and I lived there my entire life. I grew up there, and I lived with my mom, my dad, two brothers, and one sister. Uh, my mom had, had to stay at home, work at home. My dad has, he always had to work outside of the house, like really hard at his work. And life, life was good. It was support, it was love, it was good. So life is normal. That might sound like a lot of our childhoods, growing up in a loving home, feeling supported, going to school. Um, but then you, you share that at age five, is kind of where things go bad. And so just explain kind of what happened at age five and, and how that affected you and your family. Uh, well, my, my dad, uh, he, he became addic addicted to drugs. He, he, used, he used to do drugs every day. Every single day, I had, I had to watch him doing drugs. One day, one day he took too many, too many that he died, he passed away. And the worst, the worst thing is I saw it when did it happen, issues. So it was so bad, it was horrible. Then my mom, 
got really depressed. She couldn't take take care of my brothers and I anymore. She just everything went to hell. Like everything went down. And so I started getting bad in school. Like bad grades, fights, punching the students, teachers, the principal. Everything was horrible. Uh, at my age of seven, I start I start using drugs like my dad. I got really depressed, and I start using drugs at my age of seven. And my brother, my brother and I used to sell drugs too. Then, you know, Ryan mentions that his mom doesn't because she's so depressed, doesn't have that ability to really care for them in the same way. And so, Rai, you, you moved in with your grandpa and grandma, right? And what, and what happened there? Uh, my brothers and I moved to grandparents. We, be, we lived there two years and a half or something. But after that, both died. My grandparents died. And so we had to go back with my mom again. So just let that sink in for a minute. I mean, you you lose your dad. You watch him die. You lose your mom as far as being present for you. You lose your grandpa, your grandma. Uh, you're doing drugs at age seven, selling drugs around the same time, getting fights in school, getting kicked out of school, expelled from school, can't get into another school. I'm going to share with that in a minute. Everything is downhill. Well, you mentioned that at age 12, things start changing for the good a little bit. So what, what happened at age 12 um, that kind of helped turn things around a little bit? Um, I'm a year old 12. Uh, I moved with my other grandpa. Everything was so different. Like My life kind of changed there. And so I lived there like half a year, half a year and a half. And he tried me to get in the school, but I couldn't. Like, don't any other school let, letting me go in because of my behavior. And so everything was bad. Like, I mean, he was really mad and really sad because she came. But after that, uh, he met the children's home. He knew all the leaders of the children's home who works there. He talked to them, to the leaders. He shares about my story. And they, the leaders were really impressed about me. Like, they just impact about my story. And so I had the chance to go there. And so at age 12, then, he's at the children's home. You're at the children's home. And, and you mentioned that this is kind of the first time you're starting to learn about God and who he is and how he loves. Um, and this is the children's home that we partner, Emmanuel Children's Home down in Juarez. And, and then you say, you know, things are starting to get better. Uh, but then um, something happens in middle school that, again, changes your life completely again. So what happened in middle school? Um. In middle school, which is outside, outside of the children's home, it's, it's nothing about connecting to the children's home. I met a, I met a friend, 
And he was a, a good friend of mine. And so he used to sell drugs like outside of the school. And so one day he came to me and he asked me to help him to do drugs, like to sell drugs after school. And I said yes, because I, I don't even know what I was going to do. And so, yes, I told him, sure. And so, we used to sell, we used to sell drugs, like, for two months outside the school every day, you know. And so, but uh, the, the leaders of the students' home didn't know. It was between, it was between him and, and me. So, one day, we were, my friend and I were walking outside of the school, there is this there is this girl came up to us and she's like she's she's freaking out. She's so freaking out. And and she's like, Hey, a man is waiting for you outside to kill you with a gun. As soon as as soon as you as soon as you walk out, he's gonna start shoot you. Shot you in the And so we were really packed like oh Seriously, and so we were so scary, so we had to go inside again of the school and chill there like a long time. Um, the next day, uh, I I didn't I didn't see him, like he just disappeared or whatever. Like I I didn't I didn't see him anymore. Uh, three days three days. Three days after, I was walking outside of the school. My friend, other friend, came up to me, and he's like, "Hey, I I hear your name. There is these guys waiting for you outside to kill you, to shoot you in the face. As soon as you go outside, he, he's gonna shine you in the face." And I was really confused. I was like, "What's going on here?" And so. I had it, uh, so that was the good thing because I mean, if he didn't, if he didn't tell me, I don't know what will happen. He was shot. He was shot me. And so I, I went inside. I went inside of the school. I got, I called somebody of the students' home to come and pick me up. When I went back to the students' home, I told the leaders what was going on what was going on. And so they they were really wor worried. Like they were really surprised that they didn't know what was going on. And so I couldn't I I was in really in really dangerous situation. Like really bad because my life was there. My life wasn't dangerous. And so I hadn't. I had to stay at the children's home like for two months inside. I couldn't. I I couldn't stay outside because they were. They they knew where I was. And so, when Wendy, which is kind of the leader, the leader of the children's home, she started talking with Chris, with him, all all the leaders from his from his from his, 
And so that's what I, that's what I got here. That's impressive, sharing a story like that in English, huh? Um, it's been a quite the two and a half years. And if, if you know Rye at all, um, if you don't, I encourage you to get to know him. Um, but if you do know him, you've been with him in, in quite the transition. I mean, you, you hear the, the life of transition that he's already lived. And then he comes up here and he's got to learn a new language, which he's done very well in two and a half years. New culture, snow, new, f- <laughs> new family, new friends, new church, new school, new everything. And it's been, you know, we've had some ups and downs. There's been hard things, but good things. And, and kind of the closing question I just want to ask, you know, you, you've kind of mentioned at, at the beginning at the children's home, you started to discover who God was a little bit. And over the past couple of years, just as a kind of a close, what have you kind of discovered about who God is or, or what have you been learning about God um, over the last, last couple of years? Well, uh, well, when I, when I used... Like when I was at my childhood, I didn't really know anything about God. I don't know who was was him really. But as soon as my life started to change, he took he he took me in a big pray, pray place, and he just changed my life in the small the small way in a big way, you know, and. I'm I'm really proud of him, and I know who I know now who he, who is he, and I'm just proud of him who is. David, this is This is the foolishness of God at work, right? This, this life that seems like it's so foolish. Like, why would you follow the cross? Why would you follow the teachings? All that kind of stuff. There were some people in Juarez, and boy, for those of you who know the people who lead this children's home, they've picked up crosses, and they continue to pick up crosses because of the cross that, that Jesus picked up for them. And these people have sacrificed so much, and they've stood out in such a way where your grandpa saw something in those people and said, maybe they can help. And then there were other churches, you know, that have come alongside that home throughout the year and individuals who said, boy, how, how can we not do what Jesus said to do to care for widows and orphans? And they've come alongside. And I remember, whatever, a couple, two and a half years ago, three years ago, standing right about there when we used to have the room flipped this way and coming to you guys with fear and trembling, saying, all right, here's the deal. I got this phone call. And if we're in, we're in. Were some of you there that day? Some of you remember? All right, look at that. You know, if we're in, we're in. This is not a, we'll give it a try. You know, and, and you were willing to say, okay. And then Anderson's were willing to say, yep, we'll, we'll take him right into our home. But none of that matters if Ramundo doesn't say yes to God. And if Ramundo doesn't say, no, I want, to, I want to just live the life that everyone else is living. You know, I want to live the life that the dealers are living, at least the one that it looks like they live on TV. But he says yes to God. And that's what we celebrate today. This foolishness of God that changes lives. 
And so, Raimundo, what I'm going to ask you to do now, if you can stand down here, and if I can have the rest of the teenagers come on up who are here today, we're going to be confirming their faith. Um, as much as I, we're going forward, this is going to be, yeah, get up here, get up here. Um, this is going to be, and you guys stand here facing, facing the front. We're going to get all official and everything. Right here, face like this. Yep, face like this. Oh, you know what? First face them. Yeah, first face them. So they can all see who you are. Yeah, let's put these guys on. Absolutely. What's that? We got one more coming. All right, here he comes. Here comes Micah. Now, um, what we have here is we, we don't have like kind of a one-size-fits-all confirmation. Uh, we, we had a one-person-fits-all confirmation. Joey, our first confirmant. Confirmand is right there. Joey, good to have you back. Um, but they have, every one of these has a different story. Some of them have been baptized, and some of them will be baptized soon. What we're doing right now is we thought it's just such a good thing, at least once a year, to have our young people come up before the church family. For them to profess and say, whether it was at camp where I made a decision, a camp to follow Christ, or it was in the quietness of their own home, wherever it happened, however it happened, for us to celebrate that as a church family and to gather around them and to pray for them and to be challenged by their example. So that's what we're doing today, and I honor all of you guys for doing that. So now turn and face Tim. Tim has some questions that you've already answered between you and God, but now you're stating them for the rest of everyone to hear. You ready? I know. <laughs> do you confess that Jesus Christ is your Savior and Lord? If so, answer, I do. Do you believe that the Bible is our final authority for truth and conduct? If so, answer, I do. Do you renounce all the forces of evil, the devil, and all its empty promises? If so, answer, I do. Will you devote yourself to the disciplines of prayer and the study of God's word? Will you seek the filling and guidance of the Holy Spirit? Are you committed to doing justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly with your God? Will you set out to actively serve your brothers and sisters in Christ and participate fully in the life of his church? And, in other words, is this your intent to live as a disciple of Jesus Christ? If so, answer, it is, so help me God. Well, we are so proud of you guys. We really are, because we know it's hard. We, we, we can talk about our stories of how tough it was for us, but you guys face a different world now you know, than we faced. And we're so proud of you guys for taking this stand. And we know it's not going to be easy, and we don't expect you to do it perfect, because otherwise we'd have to hold ourselves to that uh, standard, and uh, none of us can do that, only Christ. So we want to pray for you now, too, as a congregation. So I'm going to be asking some questions from the spiritual family that's gathered around them. These questions are for you. So why don't you turn and look at them and hold them accountable to this, all right? Um, here we go. Uh, I hope you know you're not alone in this to you guys. I now call upon all who profess a personal faith in Jesus Christ to join me in affirming our commitment to these young men and women. As fellow members of one spiritual family, will you join me in praying for these young men and women as the Spirit leads? Will you encourage them as God provides opportunity? Will you strive to set an example for them to follow? Will you listen to their ideas and provide opportunities for them to contribute? And when they do something stupid, will... Will you be honest enough to extend some been there, done that myself, grace to them? If so, answer, we will, so help us God. And as God's people, will you also make a commitment to support our youth workers, Tim and his team? In fact, any of our youth volunteers who've been volunteering throughout the year, can you just raise your hand so we can see who you are? All right, can we give them a round of applause and thanks for them? Thank you for investing in these guys. Thank you. 
Will you pray for them as the Spirit leads? You know what? How did I not do this? And parents, can you raise your hands too? Thank you, parents, for who are all part of their lives. Thank you very much for sowing into them. For sowing into them. Will you pray for those folks as the Spirit leads? Will you encourage them as God provides opportunity? And will you offer to help in other ways if you feel the Spirit of God nudging you to do so? If so, answer, we will. So help us, God. All right. Well, let's gather around these teens in prayer. So you guys, if you could turn back this way again, space yourself out a little bit. We, we don't have the luxury of practices for things like this. But if you guys could spread out. And at this time, could we have parents come on up? Could we have youth workers come on up? Could we have any elders or people from the prayer team and others who would like to be a part of, of this time of prayer with these teens? If you want to come forward and stand around uh, these teenagers, what we're going to do now is we'll pray for them all together. And then at that point, we're going to be inviting. In fact, we can have the worship band come on up too. At that point, after we pray for them, um, we're going to invite you guys to confirm your own faith through some powerful, powerful songs. We'd encourage you to say, okay, God, either I'm here or I'm back. Um, we encourage you to do what they're doing right now. And while that's going on, uh, Tim and I will go to each of the students. We'll be praying for them, anointing them. And then we're, we've got, I think we have a youth leader, right, at each one of, with each one of these teens. Then they're going to engage in some private prayer, individualized prayer, just for those guys. And then when you're all done with all that, then you guys can go back and join the rest of us. Sound good? All right. Let's, let's do that then. Let's, let's pray for, for, uh, for these confidence. Heavenly Father, we are absolutely honored, and I, and I hope you can have the teens sense that, that, there's, that this is real. This is not just fluff, pomp, and circumstance. We are honored to stand with these young men and women as they come forward and, and say, God, as much as I understand right now, I want to follow you. As much as I understand what that'll cost me, I want to follow you. Father, would you pour upon them a spirit of understanding right now where they can, they can grab and grasp how deep and how wide and how rich and how powerful and how beyond compare is your love and your challenge and your wisdom and your plans and purposes for each one of them. Father, you made each one of them in your image and then you individually crafted each one by hand, giving them certain gifts and talents and abilities. And you know the number of hairs on their heads. So Holy Spirit, descend on them now, we ask. Descend on them as a group, those who are standing here and those who have stood before. That they may represent you, that they may be you for each other. And they may stand strong. So as your spiritual family, Father, we come around and we welcome them in. We welcome them in. And we look forward to what you're going to do in their lives in the years to come. In Jesus' name, amen.